Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Lord Party listeners, it's Abu. Just warning you that this is actually part two of a discussion that started in the previous episode. So before you continue here, you're going to want to make sure that you go back, listen to that one, and get caught up. If you're coming here from part one, carry on. Here's the episode. I want to get into the Asari. I want to get back into into the in-universe lore. Um, because I think we've touched on the things that Bioware did and what the real world can do. But... I'm also really fascinated by what the in-universe Milky Way galaxy, how love and romance would work in a galaxy full of aliens of all shapes and sizes and identities and sexualities. Um, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on whether or not you think being in this universe, not just planet Earth with humans, but this universe with many species would that increase or decrease sort of the acceptance of different types of love and sexuality and identities? Or do you think it would it would increase the prejudice and tribalism that would be present within the races already? I think that it could go either way, and it would probably get worse before it got better. Like, I can see being with an Asari not being a big deal because of how humanoid they look or how humanish they look rather whereas being with a Turian is going to be a much bigger deal given the prejudice against Turians due to the contact war i mean there's definitely prejudice built against the Turians because of the first contact war and it sucks yeah. and it's not necessarily appropriate in this day and age. But we have to remember, it's only been 26 years since the first contact war. You can't defeat prejudice like that in 26 years. We can't defeat prejudice here in 400 years. Like Yeah. Like within the human species. Like imagine bringing a Turian home to your parents. Exactly. Like, I <laughs> you think know, like it would definitely get worse before it got better. But is he Jewish? <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say like I like I think tribalism and I think them versus us and sort of what is okay is this line that kind of gets incrementally pushed as as eyes are opened to new possibilities. And so like widespread conversations about non-binary identities is something that I think is is kind of pushing things forward. Now in the Mass Effect universe, we encounter the Turians and we have this first contact war and in a lot of ways, I, I think that that would lead to humanity as a whole being like, yeah, whatever, date whoever you want, as long as it's not a Turian. Like, as long as <laughs> you're not dating one of those bug bastards, right? And then, <laughs> and then like, what, you said 26 years later, this is like when the, when the series starts. So very clearly, like, that's a quick, but just imagine you meet the Turians and you're like, oh, no. None of them. None of them gonna be dating my daughter. And then you meet the Asari, and you meet the the Rachni and the and the, the Krogan baby. and the Krogans, and you're <laughs> like, well, all right. I mean, he's got a nice voice. Like, I'll deal with it, sure. And I, I think it's this, it's that broadening that I think would help. But 
it's it's just tough, right? Because you're right that our track record on Earth is not so good. But I also think that as humanity started migrating on Earth and started seeing other cultures, that expedites the process of developing uh, inclusion. Yeah, I think I I agree with both of you. I think there are certain aspects of the Mass Effect universe that would potentially help humanity be more accepting of romantic relationships with other species. At the same time, I think you're right, the conflicts, especially with the Turians, would be something that would hold hold back that openness to different types of relationships. I think the Asari, just by the fact that they are feminine, beautiful, blue women, would be a huge factor in like convincing a lot of <laughs> male dudes in the Mass Effect galaxy to be okay with you know, quote unquote, alien sex or, You're like, you know, I, I think dad, come on, certain- look at her. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, fine. And she's Catholic. And she's Catholic. <laughs> I was going to say, though, Abu, like for all of the conversations we've had about AI, wh- what do you think about that? Oh, no. I mean, gosh, <laughs> like Joker and Eddie, right? Like. Edie, Eddie, Edie, 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 Edie. Yes. Ah, uh, the Wally. Paradox. Yeah, I, I actually debated initially not putting this in today's notes because I was like, me and Leo are just going to get super off topic again. <laughs> I'll <laughs> hold back. Start talking about hold artificial back. intelligence and love, and then this entire episode is going to turn into a, a review of her, and then we're going to start talking <laughs> about Walking Phoenix and his filmography. Oh, he's so and, good. You know, <laughs> his dog's name is Soda. God, I loved her. <laughs> I love her so much. It It was really good. So it's what I predicted is exactly (laughs) happening. But we're expediting it so we get through it faster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think my brief thoughts on (laughs) artificial intelligence, love, a la Joker and Edie, is that it's interesting that even in the Mass Effect world, that seems to be unheard of. Yeah. At least I don't recall it coming up in the games. Until an artificial intelligence took human form of some sort. And yeah. then suddenly, you know, we were like sort of okay with this relationship happening. Like as soon as Edie, you know, embodied a female shell, then it was like, oh, Joker was like, oh, I think I love Edie. <laughs> but up until that point, I don't think we ever heard of any organic based life form falling in love with an AI. I think you're right that we hadn't heard of it until that point, but I think Joker really started to fall for Edie even before she took on a human form. And I think Edie's interest in Joker manifested before the human form was acquired. And I think just seeing that option kind of spurred her into the moment of, oh, wait, this might help me understand humans more and understand a human that I care for more as well. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Joker, so Joker's develop, I agree. I think Joker was feeling feelings long before the form was, was, uh, was made. But I think, well, do you think that, uh, that Joker only kind of was out about his interest in, in Edie because of the human form, because it would make it more acceptable? Or do you think he would have, gotten to that place even if she wasn't exactly like tangible yet i think the robot body definitely made it easier but i think that if Edie never acquired that form that joker would have had maybe a longer time 
a longer gestation period on these feelings because it's hard to vocalize romantic feelings for a person that you can't see. Like so much of love and romance is in being physical or not necessarily being physical or being intimate, but like being near. Yeah. Like it's hand holding, it's eye contact. And I think Edie having a form really helped them along. Unless you're Joaquin Phoenix and her. Uh. In which case, all you need is Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> voice in your ear at wow. all moments of the day. Every wow. day, man. Every day. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, if, if we're talking about sort of like th- this idea of Joker falling for Edie is so like sounds to me like, you know, a country town where like we don't do that around here. Like, what are you even talking about? How could you fall for someone who's like that? Like it within the universe, because even again, remember, AI were, were illegal. It's illegal to develop AI because of all the implications that come with that. So in a lot of ways, like Edie existing period is sort of taboo in a lot of ways. And mm, yeah. of course, like naturally, Edie is an artificial intelligence. She is she has, I guess, a soul. She's she has a conscience she's a being and this is this is part of what makes that romance possible and 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 valid but as soon as you admit those things of saying these things are true about Edie, it validates the possibility of being in love with that that being even if there isn't a physical relationship and you know you think about like long distance relationships or relationships that have to be kept very discreet because of culture because of what is acceptable or what's understood as another thing because people might be like no, we we approve. We just don't get it. Like how what is she's a computer and you're a marshmallow boy? Like I don't <laughs> So Aww. Aww. He's more of a bundle of twigs. He's just a twiggy twiggy marshmallow boy. He's a s'more waiting to happen. Um but in general it's it's this kind of beautiful cuz we see this world where we say, "Wow, can our real world ever get to that point?" But you see this emerging love and a character being kind of hesitant about it until Edie has this body that, again, let's be real, she reveals her body or the body's revealed and it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, that's cool. Yeah, the cinematic sure. director was a dude, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, to to be somewhat realistic, we're talking about like in-lore, in-universe things. Yeah. Uh, and But then there's also the reality of these are developers creating a game that has that has a deadline and has to be crafted <laughs> together and right. released and has to make money and that sort of thing. So I think some of the things that we've discussed up to this point, like Edie becoming more humanoid before her and Joker's relationship uh, actually sort of blossoms and grows. While there, it would be interesting to see that play out without her humanoid body in like a Joaquin Phoenix her sort of story. I think for like literal gameplay and visual reasons for Bioware to tell that story, they just decided it would be easier to find some excuse to give her a humanoid body. And uh, while it would have been nice if Bioware had been more conscious of body types and all body shapes, uh, I think there are certain just sort of development limitations. Like if you're going to craft multiple races in this giant universe, it's going to take a lot more development time to give characters their own unique body shapes and sizes. So you just recycle the same hot Asari body over and over again for everyone. (laughs) I mean, yeah, definitely. But I also find it really interesting that the aliens that 
do not look like ideal humanoid bodies are the ones that often get the short end of the stick, like Volus and Elcor. And we haven't had a Solarian romance. And I think that lends itself to them like looking so different and so other that they don't get romances and they don't get storylines. And they are often shafted by the rest of the universe. And that kind of sucks for them. We interrupt this podcast for a preview for a different podcast. I'm Bruce, a regular contributor to Lore Party. In the unforgiving world of the gods, there is an endless, vicious cycle of fathers killing sons, brothers killing brothers, and sons killing mothers. But Kratos, the ghost of Sparta, looks to end that cycle with his son Atreus as they journey through the various realms of the Norse pantheon. Tune into our God of War episodes where my co-host Abu and I discuss the latest installment in the God of War series from 2018 and the insightful ways the game creates more depth in a beloved franchise. Just check out our lore party feed and search God of War. It should be easy to find. We now continue your regularly scheduled podcast. So something that we have brought up throughout this entire episode are the Asari. And they're pretty unique to both the story of Mass Effect as it's written by the developers and to the universe of Mass Effect within the lore itself. They're this, well, supposedly all-female race, although they don't prescribe to one gender or the other, um, but they're obviously very feminine to our human eyes and our human perspective, and they were developed and written that way. Uh, They have titles like matriarch that are obviously very feminine but they add a bit of a wrinkle to this world to the milky way because the way that they survive and prosper as a species is to mate with other species while they can have relationships within asari one asari can have a relationship with another and have a child they run the risk of creating an Ardad Yakshi, which is sort of this very dangerous Asari that kills whoever it mates with. But my long-winded point here is, what, what, do you guys have any thoughts about the Asari and what they represent for the universe? Like, they are this species that needs to mate with other species to evolve, to sort of take the genetic code of other species and incorporate incorporate the best parts of it within their own offspring. That's how they evolve and grow and continue to prosper. Uh, That's interesting. Uh, Yeah, I definitely agree that they are an interesting race. Uh, I would not say that they don't prescribe to one gender or the other. I think they definitely consider themselves to be one gender. Uh, Liara has used the term monogender before. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, So I think they do prescribe to like being a feminine gender. And we haven't met any Asari that kind of stand out and say, yeah, but I prefer masculine terms. And I think meeting an Asari like that would be really interesting and would like spark a lot of questions about how Asari think about sexuality and gender. And I would love to hear a story about that. Yeah, I actually agree. I can't recall any time in the game we met an Asari who preferred pronouns like he, him. Right. Every Asari that we meet is always a she, is always a her, uh, and is always treated, for all intents and purposes, like a woman. And the spe- but like within the lore itself, it's canon, and Bioware has officially stated that they can decide 
how they want to, you know, like they get to decide what their pronouns are. They get to decide. I don't know. Like to me, the Asari seem like this, almost this like ideal of openness. Like they're very open with their sexuality. They encourage romance and partnerships with other species. It, in fact, it helps their spe- it helps them evolve and grow. Um, and then they also have decided that like they may look and talk a certain way, but the way they address each other and the pronouns that they use with each other and what gender that they consider themselves to be is up to the individual. You know, that that seems like a society that has sort of thrown off the shackles of traditional, you know, gender roles or traditional like sexuality or what's right or wrong. One thing that I super appreciate about the Asari is that you can find an Asari in like every walk of life, in the military, in mercenary groups, running uh, in illegal, um, like information, just information world. Bridge, casual, <laughs> like uh, being the head of a crime organization. Like they could be doing anything. They could be uh, um, a consort. They could be a stripper. They could be an ambassador, and. I feel like we see more of that as the games move on. In game one, it was very much service industry oriented. Like there weren't a lot of women outside of the service industry and what few there were didn't always get to speak, which was a thing they paid particular attention to this time around. Hmm. Interesting, Bioware. Interesting. Um, But yeah, I really appreciate that the Asari really push like hey these are your maiden years go out be a stripper join a merc group like do whatever you want because you can do whatever you want in a lot of ways their biology normalizes interspecies relationships and normalizes like encourages this sort of exchange of not only like obviously sexual partners but inevitably culture and professions and occupations and all sorts of like just everything right and yeah it's built into them as a species i mean they're so they any two Asari can mate and reproduce, correct? Like correct. So in, in being and and we should acknowledge like that's a difference. This isn't like something that they have decided that we as humans can decide because no matter what partner I may fall in love with, there are certain people that I can create children with and certain people I cannot. Like that's there there are other options, of course. But when we're talking about these sorts of biological things the asari are in a position to do all of that and they are incentivized because again this is what pushes their species forward it it is as you said abu like there are problems when they they mate with each other there are this this chance of, of terrible things happening but it is wonderful that they're able to say like hey like i'm gonna have sex with who i want to and if you have a problem with that that's kind of your problem and I'm just like happy and confident in who I am as a person. It's like, yeah, rock on, Asari. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really glad you brought up their biology. I think that plays a huge factor. I think a huge factor of human prejudice is biology. A lot of the argument for uh, couples being a man and a woman obviously stem from a couple of things, but one of those things is well, how the hell are you going to have kids? You know, like that, that biological limitation, while there are obviously ways to get around that, uh, is sort of something that is part of human physiology. Asari don't have that limitation. 
they they have the ability to meld their genetic data with any species. And in fact, that's beneficial to them. And I think that has played a huge role in their culture and this culture of openness and this idea of, you know, exploring who you are and doing what you want. And I think their lifespans also plays a factor in that. For humans, and especially for women, uh, there's you are really have a time limit on how long you can go without having children before it's too late, right? Like there's a there's a time limit to how late you can get pregnant for most women. And the human lifespan is short enough that we, we need to have kids at a specific time range to be able to raise them to a specific age. And there's all these like limitations because of our biology. The Asari live for hundreds of years. They're allowed to spend just like 20 years in a punk rock band because that's maybe <laughs> what they think is the best for them. And then like 20 years into that, they're like, okay, that was the wrong idea. I need to switch careers. I need to explore some other aspect of my life. And that can encompass anything, sexuality, who they love, uh, where they love, what species they love with, any part of their identity, they can explore over many, many years because their biology allows them to do that. I think humans, because of our shortened lifespans and the way our bodies work, have sort of boxed ourselves into certain prejudices that we're now stuck with as a part of our culture. I was going to say, starting off as a joke, like I hear this as an argument for immortality, but (laughs) actually extending it just a little bit, because that's kind of how the thought happened for me. This idea of like, how many humans do you think would open their minds to new possibilities if they knew they were going to live another hundred years, right? Of like people who talk about like, well, I'm not going to come out as gay or bisexual or pansexual or asexual because I'm 70. Like what, what is that? No, I'm like, I've another 10 years of life, another 20 years of life. And it's not, it's just not worth like coming to terms with that identity. But like, if you had another 130 years of your life, it would allow for these kind of episodic moments where people could really explore. I think we should all be immortal, but that's just me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. I mean, I'm actually <laughs> super fascinated with age. Like that that's such an interesting question. Right? I think having an extra like 100 years tacked on is also enough time for you to quote unquote rebrand yourself too, right? Yeah. Like if if you spent 20 years in this shitty punk rock band <laughs> and then the next 40 you spend doing something else that fulfills you and uh you know, the people around you you're you can like sort of get rid of this punk rock identity that you had for that amount of time, you know, because you you have the time to rebrand and change who you are with like you're saying with humanity at a certain point, some people may just assume it's not worth it to like try to change the life they've either been given or the life that they've accepted for themselves because time is limited. So I agree. I second that we need to be immortal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Two down. I also would like to be immortal. Seven billion. Oh, three down. Hey, three for yeah. three. Three for three. We'll make podcasts. Council until has the, decided. Until the sun Science explodes. get on it. I will need immortality for all the podcasts I need to do. Hey. <laughs> but that makes me so sad, though, that you can be 70 years old and finally realize that there's a word for your feelings and who you are. Yeah. Is it worse to age until death, confused and unidentified? I think that what a what an uplifting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you should seize the moment. I don't yeah. think that you should let the threat of how much time you have left like impede your journey. 
I think I you should live like you're immortal. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Also, thanks again to Reignite for joining us on this episode. And definitely head over there and throw them a follow too. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. So, okay, if any of our listeners are 75 or older and you've been (laughs) thinking about taking the plunge, go for it, man. Live like you're immortal. Live that Asari life. Join a punk rock band. Be a 76-year-old punk rock. Live that Asari life. Hashtag live that Asari life. Oh. Just look for people to mend your genetic code with, you know? Just <laughs> anybody. Oh, that's a pick-up line. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you got a great genetic code, baby. You want to... Man. You would enhance my species forward. <laughs> nice jeans, are they designer? <laughs>